0: This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Welcome to Window on the East. I'm Liam Halligan, Editor-at-Large. In this edition, our final from the St Petersburg International Economic Forum... I ask Editor-in-Chief Ben Aris about Vladimir Putin's keynote speech. So, Ben, I think between us, we've been to pretty much every one of these uh, SPEEF uh, International Economic Summits here in St. Petersburg. And from before, when they used to be held in the, Queen, you know, the QE2 Exhibition Centre in London. I
1: mean, and there was that famous year when the Kremlin put the kibosh on it and said, no, why are you going to London
0: to talk about Russia? You have to come to St. Petersburg. We're showing our age. You seem to think in your coverage that this is a very, very important speech by Putin here at the 20th summit. Yeah, um, and it's nice. It follows through. Um, we wrote a big piece in
1: the any um, about two weeks ago about Plan K. Kudrin's come to the fore. And the way the former s- finance minister now back in the fold. Exactly. And he, you know, we used to call him Mr Prudent. Uh, he's the man who came up with the idea of creating the sovereign wealth fund, you know, siphon off some of this this oil money, which ended up being a $600 billion um Rainy Day Fund that's come in incredibly useful in the meantime. Um, And he managed to keep that. And in Russia, you know, corrupt as it is, the idea of having $600 billion that none of the people in the government, the oligarchs, the Duma could touch, was a huge achievement. And he got sacked because he had a row with Putin over military spending. And he's been kept very visibly in the sidelines ever since. And the idea was, and it was always obvious, because we've been talking about Plan K for years, that he would be brought
0: out when it was ready to reform Russia. So you think what we saw at Spb uh, this weekend was the unveiling of Plan K? This was the official acknowledgement
1: that has gone to the top of the agenda. I mean, Putin and Kudrin had a brainstorming session about two weeks ago, which kicked off the plan where he was officially appointed the head of the Economic Council. And there they went into it with the public statements we went through. The, you know, they laid out the, the groundwork of the, uh, the plan, which boils down to a change of model for Russia. All of the growth drivers we had in the past, such as construction, oil money, consumption, they're all exhausted. All the catch-up is exhausted. And that was already clear in 2013 when we had $100 oil, yet GDP growth already slowed to
0: 1%. So Russia was broken, and it needed to be fixed. But P- Putin pre- so those sectors would only be kind of normal level economy growth rather than emerging market levels of yeah. growth
1: yeah I mean that's it the the you know the, the the 90s and the 90s were all about catch up and that's easy growth to do I mean in a way you could say China's actually reached the same point because it was growing seven eight nine percent and they don't need to do anything except like you know put bums on seats in factories uh, and export. Uh, And Russia's reached that point and already reached that point. But Putin was distracted. He, um, He was totally preoccupied with the showdown with the West. And for me, that's all about him trying to define russia's place in europe because whatever comes out of this showdown is where russia will be in perpetuity the next you know generation so i remember
0: your coverage from speech last year in 2015 you were complaining to me there was almost no economics in no, Putin's speech i remember you were quite frustrated
1: i know i completely roasted him and actually got into trouble with the kremlin i got banned from the next um, blackboard by the kremlin from the next putin speech because uh, i was very hard because there wasn't a word about economics the only thing he proposed was setting up sort of russian boy scouts um, but that's because he was totally fixated on this military phase and this showdown. Well, there was, was Syria.
0: Worse. There was still Ukraine. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that was all kicking off. And and that's why this is also uh, interesting because it clearly it indicates that he's decided that you know he's come as far as he needs to with the um, with the with the geopolitics. In so much as he made his point in Syria, that was a huge success for Russia. That Ukraine is now locked as a frozen conflict, but they are just waiting for the other side to move and looking
0: as if sanctions could be lifted. And At the end of this month, or yeah. certainly a signal, maybe that they'll only last another six months. Well, they
1: actually renewed uh, a lot of them today, in the middle of Putin's speech. Which, if you ask me, the timing was pretty, pretty awful. But um, the consensus is: well, we had a series of people like Juncker came from the the EU Commission President and uh, Renzi from the Italy, the Italian Prime Minister, and Sarkozy was also speaking, and all of them are talking about um, phasing it out, winding it down, mm. but. Over and over again, everyone says Minsk II first. And that's the sticky The post-Ukraine deal. Yeah. And and Peskov, uh, Putin's post uh, spokesman, came out today and said, like, we're unhappy because the Ukrainians are not fulfilling their part of the bargain. They were supposed to change the constitution before 2015, and they didn't. They're supposed to have an amnesty law, which has been written but not signed by the president. And they're supposed to have elections. And nobody thinks you can have elections in Donbass at the moment because they're still fighting. And it's a sticking point, and so um, I actually don't see how they're going to get round it. You know, they, they they need to find some compromise. But anyway, I mean, so all of that military, geopolitical stuff is now sort of reached um, a stasis, and it's time to turn to the economy. And as I said, the the, the model was already broken,
0: and so you have to do these deep structural reforms that we've been talking about for years. Now, you've written a detailed piece about this on our website, www.intellinews.com. Just tell us about it now. What were the economic parts of the speech that really caught your eye? Uh, I think you can break it into three parts. Um, The first problem Russia has is with
1: the demographics. Putin didn't mention it today because Kudrin already announced uh, last week that they're going to raise the retirement age. That's going to create four and a half million extra workers in the economy, and that will more or less account for the, the, the people they've lost from the early 90s, you know, the collapse in life expectancy. So that's kind of fixed already. The labor force is going to remain um, constant. So Putin was focusing on today on, you know, the other major issues. Um, the first one is investment. This is the big plan, is to change Russia from a consumption and hydrocarbon-driven dri- uh, model to a uh, investment-driven country, Russia needs to invest or have investment growing by 20% a year. At the moment, it's actually shrinking. So this is an enormous problem. The second thing was then um, innovation and investment into the intellectual capital of the people. So he was talking about, you know, investing into education, schools. And, again, Russia's university system was in crisis in the 90s because of the rampant corruption, you know, to get into a really good school like Moscow State, MGU. You, could, you had to pay ten thousand dollars, and people were. And they've managed to re- reverse that. So the universities have been climbing up the rankings again recently. However, he's talking about taking it down to school level to introducing, you know, design, computers, uh, project-based uh, teaching for children to get them used to working in groups, um, doing creative things. You know, it's a very deep, long-term reform. And finally, there's the business climate, uh, and that really, at this point, boils down to corruption, getting rid of corruption. How do you affect... Tell us the about the corruptions,
0: Are Titov.
1: Tito. Well, Tito, you see, was um, hired as the um, business ombudsman. He's actually a champagne manufacturer, a friend of Putin's, um, and <coughs> he's generally regarded, uh, having met him several times, uh, as a liberal and forward-looking guy, and he was hired to try and stamp out the corruption. And the main problem in Russia with corruption is state officials, tax police in particular, starting cases against business people who they're trying to get bribes out of. And then they won't pay, and so they're thrown in jail and sit there until they do pay. And they're supposed to, there's, there's an estimated 100,000 people sitting in jail in Russia today on trumped-up charges. And t- when you say
0: trumped-up, you mean they may be true or they may be not, or they're absolutely not true?
1: Titov said to me that he estimates the people who are in jail falsely accused of economic crime is 100,000 people. Right. And so what he's doing is his his office is is taking the complaints, you know, from the wives and families and business partners, and then they start to investigate. But it's a long, slow, difficult process. But he's been given power by the president to stop any trial. Uh, when he's doing his investigation. And then when he discovers someone you know, in a tax office, because a lot of these, these trials come back to a single person, then they go to the, uh, the Ministry of Interior and these people get arrested. What Putin did today was he upped the game considerably because he said that there's now going to be a personal liability on the officials who bring these uh, false charges up to and including criminal charges. So what he just said That's is interesting. he's going to take his bureaucracy and throw them in jail if they c- continue to play this game. So, and I think he's serious. I mean, coming from Putin, you know, people take this stuff seriously. But, it's like you know.
0: a bit like Russia bezdorakov.
1: <laughs> Russia without idiots, yeah. But, um, again, it's, you know, corruption is, is a generational thing. I mean, it's, it's deeply, deeply embedded. And, moreover, the crisis, the slowdown has made it worse. I mean, when it was getting better. And on top of that, the, the other interesting thing um, that he came up with, with the business climate, was he singled out the uh, the regions. Now, Russia is generally seen as Moscow and everything else. However, there have been in the last 10 years some extraordinarily successful regions. And in my piece, I mentioned some of them, and we've been to interview the governors, Kaluga in particular, Tatarstan in Kaluga's particular. got
0: Volkswagen, L'Oreal. Um, it's got uh, tax breaks. It's all been all a kind numbers of darling of international uh, all investors. All its numbers
1: are, are double rushes. You know, industrial production is rising twice as fast. The foreign investment is like five times, ten times higher than the rest of the country. And Antimonov, the the governor, what he does is when an investor comes, he gives them his phone number. And he says, look, if you have a problem you cannot solve, call me. And as a consequence of that, there's no corruption because all of the administration know that if you try and take a bribe by causing some problem...
0: They'll just call the governor. They'll
1: call the governor and you'll end up in jail. And so they don't do it. Um, And what Putin was saying is, look, we have these great... And he made quite a long list. I mean, about a third of Russia's regions now, you could say, are relatively successful... But he asked the question, where are all the others? Why aren't you there? And he said, come September, the autumn, we're going to now go in through and look at all these regions and take the best business practices from them and management practices, and we're going to um, force everybody else to adopt them. And he threatened them with their jobs. He said, like, you know, we're going to have, quote, unquote, a very serious conversation in the autumn if you don't do this. Do you think this is
0: serious, Ben? Do you think there will be follow-through? Well... He's you obviously know. trying to move the diplomatic narrative onward from you know, the end of sanctions and, uh, and, and conflict and all the rest of it to well, show that he's domestic. getting the domestic house in order. But It was a domestic
1: message. I mean, he, he, he led his speech with talking about um, the international geopolitical situation and sort of laid out his position like, you know, I, I'm not going to budge on certain parts of this. But this, this, the, the bulk of the speech was, was aimed at the, uh, the domestic audience. And it's serious in so much as it's one of the most specific speeches I've heard. I mean, a lot of these ideas have been around forever. I mean, the problem with Russia is completely obvious what needs to be done. Where they fall down always is on the implementation. And I've always said that's a function simply of the country being so big. People underestimate how difficult it is to impose a reform on a country this size. If you're in Thailand, you just call the four bankers in, have a cup of tea with them and fix the banking sector. Here it's like... 2,000 banks on, across nine, nine, nine time zones. However, um, that remains the problem. It's like how he's going to actually implement all of this stuff. But the specifics of the plan, the, the deadlines, um, The, for example, they're going to promote small and medium-sized enterprises, and this is a very important part as well because up to about half the population are dependent on the budget for their income. So one of the reforms you're going to have to do on the is state budget. State budget. One of the reforms you're going to have to do is take people out of the public sector. Yeah. Get them into the private sector. How yeah. do you do that? You promote SMEs, but that's been going on for years. But what he said is he's going to order all the large state companies to. Um, make 50% of their orders for inputs from SMEs. Right, okay. He's talking about 9 trillion rubles. That's $15 billion. This is nine times the size of last year.
0: So SMEs are like, what, I think you say in your piece they're about a fifth of the Russian economy at the moment? Yeah,
1: 20%. And they want to double that to 40 But what they're talking about is, is taking all these state-owned enterprises, and it is his favorite way of doing things. It's not necessarily the best way of doing it. Nevertheless, there's going to be a massive fiscal stimulus for the SMEs in the form of all these state orders, which are being forced on the large companies. And so um, suddenly there's going to be a bonanza if you're a, you know, a metal producer, a medium-sized company. You're suddenly going to get the likes of Russia Railway turning around and saying, you know, build us 40,000 railway cars, whereas before they, they ignored you. And hopefully, they're hoping that's going to start the ball rolling. And um, But the, the, the why you're pessimistic is the trouble with all these reforms is that Because in the 90s and noughties, it didn't matter what the government did. It had a bad government, good government. It didn't matter. There's lots of money slushing around. You still just
0: get that catch-up growth you talked to. Yeah, you
1: just grow. What happens now is that the quality of government actually will make a difference. And all of these reforms have to come in concert. You've got to make them all work at once. Otherwise, you'll get stealing,
0: you'll get inefficiencies, you'll get distortion, and it won't go anywhere. But you think with Kudrin back in the saddle... There could be some follow-through.
1: Yeah, I mean, the plan will be serious and it will be well thought out and it will identify the right problems. But my objection to the thing with Kudrin was that he should have been made prime minister because he actually has no formal authority to implement anything. It all comes directly from personal uh, patronage from Putin. Had he been prime minister, he would have had the mechanism of all the ministries to use and impose all these changes. As it is, he can only make recommendations, and then those are given to the ministries, which is not as good. Um, but that would be dangerous politically for Putin because um, you know the prime minister's post in this country is actually extremely powerful under the Constitution. And it's disappointing to see that Putin actually wants to keep it all in his own hands and that, he, again, he's using the mechanism of the state companies to put some of these things, which is only
0: going to empower them more. You think Kudrin's popular appeal is, is that broad, that he could actually challenge... I don't... He, he's, he's certainly seen as competent, isn't he? Yeah, no, indeed. But he's not the most charismatic leader.
1: No, but he was floating around in some of the opposition demonstrations. Um, but the, the point is, is it's, he doesn't need the popular appeal. If he's prime minister, he actually has the power already. He, only, he doesn't need the popular appeal to get the job. Once he has that job, um, if you remember back in the 90s, and you know, it's like ancient history now, that when Zuganov, we'll young. <laughs> when Zhuganov, the head of the Communist Party, they had the biggest fraction in the Duma, and Yeltsin spent half his life battling the Duma. Yeah. There was a real ding-dong there. Yeah. And Medvedev is, is a complete puppet, and so he does nothing. And so you don't notice, and so much as all the power is effectively in the presidential administration. But with someone like Kudrin as prime minister, that's a different kettle of fish.
0: And just finally, what's your overall impression of being here in terms of who's actually turned up? Russia's still not in from the cold. Sanctions are still applying. Yeah, People still get a hard time for coming. Who have you seen around? Uh, Not many people at all. Uh, What struck me firstly
1: was there were very few Europeans, almost no Americans. There's one direct flight between St. Petersburg and Moscow, and if you flew today at 3 o'clock, the plane was half empty. On one flight for Russia's major economic event. I think that says it all, is that everyone is like, they're, they're interested in the debt market. Sarkozy was here, Juncker was here, but... But they're all, you know, politicians. I mean, the thing is, the whole thing's operating at that level, at political level, because the, you know, international, quote-unquote, investors who are here, big Chinese delegation. Yeah, always. Big Arab delegation. Yeah, you know, big uh, Korean Some of the sovereign wealth funds delegation. we saw last night, yeah. But it's all operating at that level of delegation, which is, you know, sort of part political.
0: Whereas in previous years when we've been here, it's been like uh, a Wall Street reunion, right? Yeah, and you sit in the garden
1: in the sun and you see fund managers you haven't seen for a while. It's yeah. sort of a bit like sort of a family reunion or family anniversary, and you sit there and chat to people. And none of those people came, uh, I think, <laughs> On the direct investment and multinational level, um, they they stayed away because Russia's not actually particularly interesting for them at the moment. But that may change. Certainly, um, the mood was a lot more upbeat than it has been for the last two years. So we're looking forward, whereas before we were just sort of hiding under a rock. But they need to deliver. uh, They really do need to deliver. And on the macroeconomic front, the fundamentals are good. We're looking forward to a bit of growth. And if they uh, pull it off, there will be a boom. In so much as the, Russia has no debt, the companies have no debt. Uh, you remain with this enormous uh, consumer market, which has an income equivalent of the Portuguese, which totally... Income okay. per head equivalent yeah. of the, the Yeah, and the people are totally... About 145 million of them. Indeed, and, and the, even the people have paid off all their debt because of the crisis. So the, potentially there's a massive credit fuel
0: boom. What is it that we always say? Russia's either the best performing or the worst performing stock market in the world. You've yes. Just, you just got to pick your year. And uh, currently, it's the best performing in the world,
1: you know, just on the first quarter, just to sort of catch up from, like, really... It's like Bill Browder used to say, you know, Russia's, like, it's gone from really, really atrocious to just bad, and that's a 20% gain, you know, that's a very nice return. And so we want to go from, right, bad to, you know, sort of, you know, actually, they might be starting to do something, and that's another 20% gain. So people are start I must say, on the equity front, people are starting to look at it again, and there's uh, definitely some interest, but... A little bit too early. However, Putin's speech today, I think, will be a milestone because we can look back to it and say he put his flag in the sand on that day and they're going to seriously attempt, and some of these reforms are going to work and make a difference. And if they manage to do everything in concert, which, I don't know, maybe remains a pipe dream, then it could make an enormous difference. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Ben Harris, thank you very much. Pleasure.